<laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome back to Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. Thank you for joining us. That's right, we're back to the intro with the old Rage Against the Machine. Thank you, Rage. Um, to be honest, I, I to be honest, I was tempted. You know, if you uh, listened to last week's episode of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less and uh, from the rating statistics, a lot of you did, and thank you for that. Uh, last week was about uh, the greatest rock song of all time. That's damn right, the greatest rock song of all time, and that's uh, the Who's Babbo O'Reilly. And um, I've again, if you listen last week, we uh, did the intro with that song, and and it would have been appropriate here um, this week as well. Um, I, the reason why it would have uh, been appropriate is if you if you know the song uh, and the lyrics, um, I don't need to fight to prove I'm right. I don't need to be forgiven, and that's pretty much what this piece this week is all about. Um, about the fact that I, you know, this, um, I really like that line. The I don't need to, I don't need to fight to prove I'm right. I don't need to be forgiven. Um, the place where our national civic discourse has gotten to at this point, um, and it, this all stems from a, a few weeks ago, and I wanted to hold off on publishing i wrote this piece not long after the actual um incident um but um but at the same time uh i, I wanted to hold off uh writing about it and it it goes back and I, I allude to it in the actual column itself um but um but i i didn't don't go into the specific which art which article it was that i published that was so controversial um and it, it turned out that if if you read or listen regularly it was the piece on um on shaming uh due to due to um health issues right and the idea of um of starting to use uh shaming behavior um as a way of trying to change uh the the continuous tide of unhealthy behaviors in regards to both our exercise and um, dietary intake. And um, and what I thought shouldn't have been nearly as controversial a topic as it was uh, turned into just that. Now, um, if you get, if you listen to the podcast on a regular basis or you follow us online, um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, um, all of the various social media outlets that you all know, Instagram. Uh, it's the kids these days, you know, the kids these days, they, they're, they're on the Insta. So <laughs> in any case, us old, it's only us old fucks that are still on Facebook. Um, but at the same point, uh, in any case, if you, if you do follow us and uh, you would have seen the, uh, the outcry about that and that I did, um, I tried to, I don't know if walk back is the right term because I'm, I'm just leery of, uh, of a term like walk back. Um, but I tried to, um, have a further understanding about the use of the word shame, why it, um, why it struck such a chord with so many people, and why um, was willing to acknowledge that perhaps that wasn't the right term in terms of um, in terms of what I was trying to convey. And so, uh, in the podcast version, if you had, if you listened um, to Truth every week on the podcast version, you would have. Uh, you heard me try to explain that what I meant by the term shaming was that I was trying to focus in on the behaviors and not on the people themselves. And, and, and there is a huge, while that might seem like, um, 
you know, uh, you know, I'm just parsing words at that point. Um, there really is a huge um, schism between the understanding of what's going on there. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is that um, I'm not just splitting hairs uh, by sitting there and suggesting that we're not trying to shame people, but shame behaviors. Um, we shame behaviors in our society all the time. Um, we shame smoking. I, I, I remember um, uh, my uncle used to tell me uh, that, you know, when he saw his daughter saw people smoking a cigarette out on the street, he used to make it very clear, like, they're not bad people, but smoking is bad. And it's okay to label behaviors as bad. Like, we've gotten to the point where we're so... We, we try to be so inclusive in our society, and I'm all for the inclusion. If you read this column what, long enough, and um, you know that I am all for inclusion. Um, but we perhaps the pendulum has swung so far on that, and this is kind of what I was trying to get at, that we, we sit there and tell people that no matter what they do, that it's okay. You know, that We don't want to sit there and tell people, no, it's fucking bad. Put the Twinkie down. It's bad for you. You should stop eating that. You're already grossly overweight. And it's leading to this number of health problems. Um, and uh, and you can sit there and say, well, that's, you know, that's in, in the end, that's their own choice. Well, yeah, but the, the rest of us do pay for that, right? We, there are consequences for the rest of us as a society. Um, and it is okay for us to tell our kids, no, it's, it's important to eat healthy. It's important to have, um, it's important for us to exercise and, and get that uh, as a part of it. And um, I was just talking about this uh, with my ex-wife actually last last week um, on that side of the family. If you follow me personally on Facebook, you know of the, um, the really dark uh, tragedy uh, that occurred for all of them. And uh, my heart uh, just goes out to all of them and it has... Um, that part of that has been for my kids and we both of my ex and I have really been um, mindful to watch um, the mental health of, of my two kids. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we both discussed in all of this was how important um, diet and, and exercise are to our own mental health, that they're cyclical. And, um, and a lot of people, you know, wrote to me about how dare I shame people about, um, out there, I, I, you know, question people on their, you know, their the food that they're taking into their body. The big part of you know maybe why they are eating like that is because of mental health, and I totally agree. But that's a self fulfilling, right? That is a cyclical process um, because inevitably, when you eat like crap, it also fuels um, your poor mental and spiritual health as well. Our physical, our mental. And our spiritual selves are all really deeply interconnected and we need to take care of our physical selves in order to be able to be in a good place uh, mentally and spiritually and so just telling people yeah it's okay go ahead and eat flipping donuts and do what you need to because you're having mental health issues um, you know that that in the in the long run ends up being again very self cyclical um, and becoming a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in which you you eat because you feel like it's um, somehow or another soothing, but what it all it ends up really doing is uh, fueling the very mental health issues that that are there. And so, um, 
in any case, <laughs> it's a long diatribe about uh, about the point that I made a couple weeks ago, which was that uh, was it regardless one way or another uh, that that piece on um, shaming in regards to uh, shaming behaviors regarding uh, poor dietary and uh, exercise habits um, inevitably fueled a an backlash, which. Um, as I go into the piece, um, I'm all I'm all for the idea of um, I'm all for people responding to the column in both positive and negative ways. Um, the two things that do strike me out of all this, the two things that struck me especially out of that episode, um, was number one, um, how much people are fueled by the negative, and what I mean by that is. People won't stop to respond uh, nearly as much um, when they are uh, when they're in a when when they find something positive. They will. I mean, there will be you know I get positive comments back, um, you know, on and every single article I write, and a lot of them are positive, and I appreciate all of that. Um, but I I was struck um, by how mu- many people will respond in the negative. Um, and that part of it, I found um, not not disheartening for me. I, I it doesn't matter. I'm not, you know, when you write, you put it out there in the universe, and it is what it is. Um, but it struck me at the core of who we've become as a society that we are far more fueled by negativity. And I had someone on social media comment like, "Well, you know, you've gotten a lot of, uh, you've certainly gotten a lot of pushback, um, but it must be great for your algorithms uh, on Facebook and other social media platforms. It must be a great thing. Uh, you know, it's obviously, this is probably right what you wanted. And I was like, no, I, I, I'm not here to write for algorithms and for social fucking media and any of that. I, I just don't give a damn. Um, I don't write truth in a thousand words or less to get clicks. I'm not writing clickbait. Um, you know, when you write the, if you go on social media and you're putting up the, uh, the, the sort of um, the hook paragraph uh, to get people to read, um, I, I love the idea of getting people to read it, um, but, uh, but I'm not sitting there writing to try to get clickbait just so that people will click on it. That's not, that's not what I'm about. What, I, what I'm trying to do as a, in, writing, in writing the column is to get people to think. Uh, and to push people's boundaries of what they their traditional boundaries of thinking um, and to maybe challenge them to see the the universe in a slightly different perspective and I think that that's a really healthy place to be and that's what gets me to the second point is um, what really struck me was how much we've uh, devolved in terms of our openness to new ideas and to having an actual civic discourse um, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, for the very first times that I was teaching in class, um, you know, if you, if you know me at all, my, my favorite writer of all time is Henry David Thoreau. Uh, I wrote my master's thesis on, him, on Thoreau and Emerson and Whitman uh, and the influence of Eastern uh, philosophy, um, specifically Buddhism, uh, Taoism, and Hinduism on their thinking. And, um, and I had a student write a paper early on about why... Um, why Thoreau sucked <laughs> and was a giant hypocrite. And I remember, uh, I remember, you know, that paper was an A paper um, and, uh, and was graded by me as such. Um, I love the idea of competing ideas, 
the idea, the thing was, is that the student got me to, to, um, in writing a really well-founded, thoughtful um, paper, uh, the student was able to get me to check my ideas at the door and to be willing to look at that the circumstances surrounded Thoreau in a somewhat different perspective. And I think that we've, that's always been uh, the methodology by which I stand as an educator. Um, and the same thing that I do as a writer. I write to try to challenge people's ideas and to try to get them to see the world in a slightly different way. And, um, but that's really hard to do when people fall into their camps and don't even, I, I, and this was the thing that really got me. Um, and if you you're, we're sitting here like at over 10 minutes into this podcast, and if you're still listening, good for you because you're one of those people. Um, I can't tell you how many people responded to my column. And uh, I was like, did you even read? And, and they fired back with like <laughs> complete, um, like complete indignation that somehow or another that they should be forced. I didn't need to read it. Fuck you. You know what? If you can't bother to read a five-minute piece, and, and but you can sit there and write 30 flipping minutes on your computer, an uh, angry comment, go screw yourself. You, you have no intellectual merit, and I don't give a damn what you have to say. If you read it, I don't care. Please. I want to hear your thoughts, and they can differ with mine. Um, and But you, we have to start with an openness to being willing to hear each other. Um, even to ideas that we disagree with. And what amazed me was how many people, and, and the, the one that got me perhaps more than others that truly saddened me um, was a colleague of mine that I used to teach with uh, back at boarding school in, in, um, in the in, in Berkshire School in, the, in Western Massachusetts. And, um, and a colleague who I worked with closely and had a great deal of um, appreciation and respect for, um, and writing back to me and telling me how I was quote unquote embarrassing myself or anything else. And I was like, did you, it really seems from your comments that you didn't read the column. And they wrote back, I didn't need to. Really? That's, that's what we're at as teachers. Like even educators. As educators, we of all people need to stress the idea of being open to ideas, even ones that you disagree with. That you don't sit there and fire back angry comments about articles and about opinions that you haven't even had the decency and the respect for mutual respect for to at least read the idea through. That part of that, that laziness of thinking, that immediate entrenchment into our camps um, is really unhealthy for us both intellectually and culturally as a nation. And I found that part of it to be dissettling. And, and as I get into in the column, um, a big part of what I found so dissettling about that was the fact that this was, this was liberals coming after me like this. Um, and I, I, to be per perfectly honest, my own, um, I generally align with left-wing politics. And so my my predisposition has been to be like, oh, you know, liberals are more open-minded. They're more willing to, they're more willing to be open to different perspectives, et cetera, and to hear um, other-sided intellectual arguments. 
and to some degree or another, I think I, I think I was proven wrong. I think that that was a false dichotomy on my part. Um, that somehow or another that um, liberals are more open to free thinking than uh, the people who are on the right that I find to be so challenging in terms of getting them to be um, open-minded. No, I think, I think our closed-mindedness is pervasive throughout our society, and it doesn't matter which side of politic, political aisle you're on. And with that, I give you the erosion of the national civic discourse. I'm going to start this week with an acknowledgement that should be patently obvious, but apparently has become suddenly unavoidable. Truth in a thousand words or less is an opinion column. It represents my personal perspective. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, well, good. Now that we have this mandatory revelation out of the way, we can get down to the heart of what precipitated all of this nonsense in the first place. You see... A few weeks back, I dared to publish a piece that was exactly that, an opinion column, and people just about lost their everlasting minds. I'm not going to go into the issue that served as the impetus for this whirlwind criticism, and for those of you on the podcast, you've already heard it. This isn't the time and space for doing so, and I've only got a thousand words to burn, but suffice it to say that my social media platforms blew up like a california wildfire spreading hate and vitriol across a wide swath of territory with an indiscriminate recklessness now don't get me wrong i write an opinion column because i appreciate the opportunity to discuss controversial difficult topics trying to offer a unique take on issues that don't have simple solutions and i do so to provoke critical thought amongst my audience to challenge folks to confront and grapple with complex, nuanced ideas. I am absolutely fine with strong-minded dissent. In fact, I encourage it. I even wrote about this a year ago in a piece entitled The Happiness Within, in which I, by the way, look that piece up. It's one of my faves. In which I discuss my personal evolution in embracing criticism of my work. At this point in my writing career, I want people to challenge my ideas and push back where they see fit. But that's not quite what I got. Provoked by my use of a word, shame, that clearly triggered some folks, they fired back with personal attacks that questioned my professionalism as an educator and my fitness as a parent, even though these were largely people who knew me in neither context. They suggested that I was quote-unquote embarrassing myself and should be quote-unquote ashamed of myself. Why? Because I dared to express an opinion that differed from their own? This is the problem with our continuously devolving engagement in a national civic discourse. Even sadder, it was clear from some of the comments that many of these people hadn't even bothered to read the article in its entirety. Are you kidding me, people? It's a thousand fucking words for crying out loud, and I even used one of them to include that profanity right there. That's a five-minute read on Medium, which we're also available on, by the way. Go check us out on Medium. What's truly crazy, uh, and you can continue it, like just you know, follow us on, on Medium if you want. <laughs> sorry, sorry for the, sorry. <laughs> What's truly crazy about all this is that some of these folks took the time to type out a lengthy, verbose response. Probably many of them much more than a thousand flipping words for crying out loud. All predicated on reading no more than the one sentence hook and or lead paragraph I used to promote the piece. I'm guessing that many of these folks spent at least 10, 15 to 30 minutes typing out responses to a five-minute article they couldn't be bothered to read. 
And if you don't see the irony and blatant narcissistic self-absorption involved there, I've got a class in Greek, classical Greek drama you need to take. The fact is that these folks didn't read the column in its entirety because they didn't feel they needed to. They had already predetermined their response by the camp with which they aligned themselves. We don't listen to each other anymore, open to nuanced perspectives that might challenge our preconceived notions. Rather, we entrench ourselves in our deep-rooted ideologies and shove our fingers in our ears to deafen any potential questioning of our intellectual dogma. Worse yet, we kick and scream trying to silence those who speak their minds altogether. Make no mistake, I consider myself a progressive liberal, finding myself on the left side of the aisle on the vast majority of the issues. But that's just the point. I think for myself. I may align myself with a liberal viewpoint on most issues, but I don't belong to any particular camp, putting aside critical thought to make sure I fit in with the team. No, I believe it is our civic duty to think critically and independently about complex issues, to form our own opinions based upon experiences and research. My ideas are mine. They do not belong to the left or to the right. And when my perspective aligns with traditional right-wing politics, will I speak that truth just as vociferously? Based on that dynamic, I often hear criticism from my right-leaning friends and readers. But this vitriolic closed-mindedness from the left truly took me back. Isn't free, independent thinking supposed to lie at the very heart of liberalism? My bias of perspective has often led me to believe that people on the left are far more open to challenging divergent perspectives. But what I realized from all of this is that both sides of the political aisle have shut out opinions that differ from their own and tried to drown them out in the deafening thunder of their own self-righteous condemnation. Close-minded team thinking is not a right or left issue, it's an American issue, and our civic discourse is suffering as a result. Back when I was at Colgate University in the early 1990s, yes, I said the 1990s, so go screw yourself. I recall Louis Farrakhan being invited to speak on campus as a guest lecturer. This caused a furor amongst some students who found Farrakhan to have engaged in a number of anti-Semitic comments. He has, by the way. Even having been labeled as an anti-Semite by the Anti-Defamation League itself. But the university persevered, believing that Farrakhan represented an arousing point of view that would compel students to confront their pre-existing thoughts on race and inherent systems of discrimination. While I have always taken issue with Farrakhan's assertion about the, assertions about the role of the Jewish people in the historic disenfranchisement of black Americans, I walked away from his talk with a much heightened awareness of the systemic racism that pervades American culture. By keeping an open mind, I actually learned something for once. I wish the people who responded to my previous column had done the same. And even more so, I hope they read to the end of this column. And uh, for you folks, you have indeed, I appreciate it, you all have done just that. You have listened until the end of, uh, of this week's Truth in a Thousand Words or Less, and uh, I appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully this, uh, you know, like every column I write, 
hopefully this one has spurred uh, spurred you to think a little bit about how um, about how we respond, about the um, way that we engage in our intellectual conversations. And hey, um, one way or another, hopefully it made you laugh or give you a, gave you a better start to your day. In any case, that's it for me this week, folks. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. As always, you can uh, find us on our website, www.waitingfortoday.com. Um, happens to be the title of my book if you haven't read that yet, too. <laughs> but uh, you can also find us on Facebook, the Insta, um, a podcast available anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, um, you name it, we're there. Um, until then, uh, we'll be back with another uh, Truth in a Thousand Words or Less next week. Until then, peace out, y'all. You know what? Um, they call me the breeze. This is uh sorry um <laughs> messed up the track I'll get it right next week uh this is uh we're gonna go out with uh we're gonna go out for now on with a somewhat different deal I'm gonna go out with a little bit of John Mayer playing the Leonard Skinner call me the breeze baby have a great week folks see you next Thursday thanks for listening peace out y'all. Change